Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I speak with Wendy Gottlieb, well, I should say Dr. Wendy Gottlieb, who is a plastic surgeon. She focuses on breast and body reconstruction and augmentation in Reston, Virginia. What was her path leading up to plastic surgery and how did she start her own practice? What does she enjoy most and what soft skills are necessary to be a successful surgeon and have a successful medical practice? Listen in to find out and enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being yeah. here. I'm so excited. Well, one to see you because it's. I was trying to think about the last time we saw each other, which I want to say was like maybe freshman year in college. Like I feel I, like we maybe I, saw each other on a while. break, but just, it's been it's a minute. A little, yeah. Um, but I have such fond memories uh-huh. of you and of like all of us hanging out together back in the high school days. And I was just about to tell you the story about. Um, so we were on a soccer team together. I think we were saying sixth grade. Your dad was the coach, and uh-huh. at the end of the season, you guys had a party. Uh huh. And at that party, we watched 16 Candles. And it was the first, my first exposure to like what I would characterize as like a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. And I am a romantic comedy obsessed person. I love them too. (laughs) So I feel like it set a course for my life that like (laughs) from that party on, because I love that movie. Obviously, John Hughes was awesome and all of those Uh movies, but then it just, I mean, I definitely have had my fill of them. So, oh yeah. So I think of you and your dad a lot <laughs> with respect to my love of romantic comedies. Oh, that's so funny. I'd forgotten about that one. That was a good one. Yeah. At it's the good. time, I tried to rewatch I don't think it. It, it, it doesn't <laughs> really play. It doesn't play as well yeah. um, right now. Yeah. But I, at the time, so funny. Oh, and I yeah. think creative and like, I think funny enough, it was like the first representation of like, for me anyway, I was maybe somewhat naive of like, girl likes boy, you know, girl mm-hmm. wishes for boy and boy likes her back. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was really my first of like, oh, that can happen, you know, yeah. whereas like, because yeah. I was a big crusher. I always had crushes yeah. for, you know, yeah. and never told anybody. It mm-hmm. was like that unrequited love was like my, was my jam. It was my yeah. superpower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. we'll start with what you do first. Um, so I know, maybe tell me like your full title, because I don't know that I know it. Like I, in terms of like, do you own your practice? Or are you? I own my practice. Okay. So I'm, it's a solo practice. I'm the only physician. Okay. And it's a plastic surgery practice. Yeah. Um, obviously. And I've been solo, I think now for 20 years. Wow. Um, so when I just, I, when I first finished, I joined another solo person, which was, you know, kind of lasted about a year and for a variety of reasons, including location, the practices at in the hospital that I like to work at better. I kind of moved over and then sort of temporary did like a little bit of, I didn't want to start off at that time because I had to take my oral boards, mm. which for me, I had never had issues taking tests. That one stressed me out really to no degree. So I didn't want to be opening the practice and studying for that at the same time. So I, I joined somebody else for a year. And then as soon as I was done with that, then I went out on my own. Wow. Um, and what's the, your your practice called? Like is, It's a it, it, boring name. It's just Wendy R. Gottlieb, MD, PLC. Okay. When I was doing all the papers, yeah. the lawyer's like, do you have a name? And I'm like, no, I don't have a name. And he's like, here's your name. It's like, okay. <laughs> 
yeah. And then really, I mean, for you, because it's such a niche thing, it's like maybe the name doesn't, you know, really matter because you get known for a thing and then that. You get known a little bit for a thing. And I think it might make a difference if there's a bunch of you together to have some kind Mm -hmm. of like really big branding. But otherwise, the patients are kind of coming to you anyway. So I have a lot of friends that are also in solo. And I honestly don't know what any of their practice names are. Yeah. That's just so, funny. Yeah. And then for you, what is your, do you have a focus in terms of the, you, so you said plastic surgery, what, like what's the. Um, so I mostly do breast and body um, okay. and I do a combination of different things. So I do some reconstructive like breast cancer reconstruction and occasionally like skin cancer reconstruction and things like that. And then I do a lot of like bigger, smaller, lifted, tucking, removing stuff sometimes adding stuff, breast and body. And it's funny because I feel like I've really narrowed down. Plastic surgery is a huge field. And so we do a lot of things that sometimes you think of, but there are not a lot of people doing them in terms of like pediatric plastic surgery and like cleft lips mm-hmm. and palates and actually hand surgery is part of the plastic surgery training that people don't really think of at mm. all. You know, a, a whole lot of, I mean, big other, yeah. you know, flap reconstructions and things. And when I initially picked it, that was part of the reason I picked it is that it there was so broad and you operated all over the body and young people and old people, healthy people, sick people, you know, yeah. traumas, cancer, you know, cosmetic. And then as I've kind of gotten on my career, I was like, oh, well, I kind of don't like this. Mm. Um, the craniofacial, I really feel like there's enough work for like probably five craniofacial specialists in the country. And there's a lot of people who do it, but they tend to do other things as well. Okay. Um, and around here, like there's no reason that, you know, any patient really in this country should be at a specialty center for a lot of these things. So I don't, you know, I've done a few like mission trips and I've done some like a little bit of cleft work there, but I don't really do any of that stuff mm-hmm. anymore. So it's really kind of in a way narrowed down, but I like it. And so you kind yeah. of pick the things that you like, you know, over, over time and it becomes more of your practice. But if somebody told me, oh, you can go into this and you'll be doing these surgeries, I would have been like, oh no, I don't think I'm going to do that. But, but it's where you've ended up just And there is a comfort level with it. Like you like to try a little bit of new stuff. It's nice to get there's a little bit of a stress level that you need to have to kind of keep engaged and everything Mm -hmm. with it to try new things and kind of keep improving and growing. But there's also a nice comfort level where you do things and you're like, you could do them all day. You want to see an expert, right? If I'm going to go to you, I want want you to have done a lot of these these things, you know, do, but like even within that there's ways, could you make this a little bit better? So you're, it's, it's nice to have that like kind of specialized thing where you feel like you're an expert, but you feel like you can still also grow. Yeah. Did you always, I have so many questions about your practice and Mm -hmm. specifically what you do. And and so we'll get into that, but I guess first let's, I always like to ask people your path to this point. So were you someone that knew you wanted to be a doctor early on? When did that hit um somewhere probably around junior year of college okay. so I was lucky that I kind of liked the science so I had enough of the science prereqs okay I didn't major in biology or anything like that I majored in philosophy oh. um I wasn't really sure that I was going to and all of a sudden I was like I kind of liked it enough and I'd taken it's weird I'd taken all these science classes but part of it was there was some neuroscience class that was super fascinating to me when I was a freshman mm-hmm. And they said, oh, your prereq is chemistry. I was like, fine, I'll take chemistry. You know, I take an AP biology already, I'll take chemistry. And then I took that class and it went fine. And I didn't, I didn't hate it, but it wasn't like my passion or anything. And then I still wanted to take this class. And then somebody said, oh, actually, you don't really need chemistry. It's the prereq, but what you really need is physics. Oh so God. I was like, the next year I took physics. Yeah. So I took physics and then I ended up never taking that class. 
Oh my god! It, which was yeah. it was fine, but I'd had the prereqs there, and then I was able to take. They had some actually very cool biology classes where we did like a little mouse IVF and you know some other things. Hmm. And I was like, I actually really like this. I want to I want to go to medical school. And at the time, I was like, I think I want to be like a primary care doctor, like an internist, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. all this stuff. And it was funny because there was a big push for the medical schools to produce more primary care doctors at the time. So everyone was saying that. And I remember I had an interview, and one of the, the people that was interviewing me was an orthopedic surgeon at NYU, and I told him, I was like, I think I want to do this. And he looked at me and he said, I think you're telling you the truth, but you're not going to do that. I was like, okay. And I was like, really? Yeah, it was fascinating. So I, you know, I ended up getting in and going to medical school, and I was thinking that I wanted to do primary care, and that lasted like four or five days. And I was like, mm, No. Interesting. And it was funny. And I had, they assigned me with, everybody got assigned an advisor and they assigned me with an advisor who's a plastic surgeon. And I think they basically assigned me to him because I was at medical school at UVA and he was from the Northeast. And And I was, I've been at the Northeast. So I think that's how they picked him, not for any other reason. And I really liked him and he was a great guy and really good advisor. And I was like, no, I would never want to do plastics. Yeah, And I got a couple of years into medical school and I was thinking like, oh, maybe I want to do pediatric surgery was one of the ones I really wanted to do, or maybe pediatric ENT. And I matched actually into a program planning to do pediatric surgery. And I got midway through the year and I had a month of pediatric surgery and then a month of plastics. And I was like, oh, I want to do plastics. And I had to like reapply for a resident and kind of change paths. And it, I, I was super lucky that it worked out. So I was able to do three years of general surgery, and then get into a two-year plastics program. So I was able to finish um, quickly, and I didn't lose time. Yeah, it's a, it was, it's a lot of schooling. It's a lot of schooling. And you yeah. you did go to Yale for your undergrad, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, I've listened to some podcasts where they're like, there's the two people, that are, they call themselves edophiles, and they love to hear about people <laughs> that go to great schools, and they're like, tell us about it. But, yeah. So you're there, I guess, for just, and then you mentioned yeah. UVA, so obviously yeah. another great program. So for you, is, did school come very pretty easy to you, like in terms of learning, test taking, like, because that's so a mo- lot of- most of it did. Yeah. And it was funny because I was just actually having an issue with my daughter who managed yeah. to raise her um, geometry grade from an F to a D and okay. wanted a parade. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like, uh, wait a second. I was like, no, no, that's not how this works. And I had this like moment, I had this epiphany where I got to Yale and I had not had to study really hard when I got there. Like things were, I mean, I probably wasn't at the level where a lot of these kids were at, but like I hadn't had to work super hard. And there was this super innocuous sounding math class. And I was like, oh, I'll take that because you should take math and then English. And I, you know, right. Like I was taking like a yeah. high school type class, but in college. And it was this really innocuous class and I got into it and I could not for the life of me understand it. I tried so hard. I went to all the TA sessions. My friend was in the class. Her parents were math professors. And we, you know, we'd call them. My dad had majored in math. Like nobody could help. And I struggled through this whole class. And I remember the whole grade was your final exam. But if you did well on other things and like turned in your homework, like that would help you a little bit. And I remember the midterm, I think I got a 27. And I was taking it. Fortunately, I thought through it enough after the first day that I was like, this needs to go past fail, that I managed to get it up probably to a D. And so I got my F to a D and I think I wanted a parade for that. So it was the same sort of thing. But that was my first experience yeah. having like, like this is not actually coming easy and I'm having to like really work for it. 
um, which was like, it, it was just interesting. I was like, oh, maybe there's some things that maybe aren't going to be like super, just super or... easy and stuff like that. And so th it was, which was interesting because I wasn't really having an issue with any of my science classes or the prereqs for the med school classes I had no real issues with, but I was really worried about starting medical school. And I was particularly worried because people had you know, a master's in biochemistry, they majored in biochemistry, and they had done all this work. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is going to be so hard. It's I'm not gonna be able to make it through. And I remember I bought a biochemistry book for the summer mm -hmm. beforehand, you know, that they were supposed to have, I got like a chapter into it. And I'm like, Don't. but then I got there and it wasn't bad. You know, they weren't trying the way it, it, they were trade, right? The way it's, it's portrayed so is competitive horrible and, and competitive. And they were just kind of trying to cheat, teach you general principles, and kind of how things work. And I think if you there were people that were so intent and remained so fearful that they were you know studying all the time but you really could kind of figure out what they were trying to teach you and it, it ended up being okay you know it's interesting you say that because i uh, i'm working with uh someone who's a, like a, a doctor who his son is in law school and he's going through um, candidacy stuff and he's looking for jobs and so i'm doing some mm -hmm. interview prep with his son uh -huh. and but and he also has a, a child that's in med school and he is saying how at least now from what he can tell, like med school and medicine, the support and the infrastructure to help people in terms of the apprenticeship mm -hmm. model and really there's a lot of resources, he says. Oh, and there's yeah. a lot of more almost available to like, yes, it's a lot of pressure. Yes, it's a lot of school. Yes, you know, you have to do a fair amount of performance to get there. But then it seems like when you're in the mix, I'm wondering if your experience was the same, but the way he was characterizing it, like comparing medicine to law, he was just saying, I don't know that there's as much support in, in like, I, you know, in yeah. the law environment, at least, you know, what he's observing. Right. And again, I don't know, and I'm sure it's so different yeah. now. Um, but I think there is a fair amount of support and they're, they're kind of moving you, you know, through these steps and these yeah. processes. And it does a lot. Um, a lot of it depends, I think, on who you find and who you connect with, yeah. and that might determine like what you end up going into, and mm -hmm. it's sort of a similar thing. Like when I was at the general surgery program that I was at, was not super friendly. They uh, they didn't really seem to mentor you. The plastic surgery program, although the, the honestly the pediatric surgeons there really did, they took a big interest in you know mm -hmm. the trainees. The plastic surgeons were very interested in teaching you, even if you weren't going into that field. So I think that somehow deterred, you know, and I think that probably affected me a lot, but I, I do think that the support is there once you're there. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's, I mean, you know, it may not be the right thing for everybody, but I think that they will get the people, you know, through the programs. Yeah. And I think it's also now it's not as based. I mean, there's so much more information. There's more medications than when I was there. There's more things that we know. There's yeah. more gene stuff. And I think it's more based on like being able to figure things out and find them versus having everything committed to memory. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. You know, then that, which like, makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to think about a problem and, you know, help work, work it out versus having everything, you know, just stored because like at one point, you know, there's yeah. two blood pressure medications or there's, you know, like just small amounts of things. And now there's like, a, yeah, an array. Yeah. A, yeah. You know, it's interesting you said that because I feel like that translates to other work. I mean, I, I was joking that in COVID, it like taught all our kids how to cheat, right? Because everything <laughs> was so virtual mm -hmm. and everybody's GPAs went through the <laughs> roof. And, and then I, and I used to be, I used to have like very strong opinions about cheating and from a like moral yeah. standpoint. And then I started thinking about it and I, I said, you know, actually in life, you often have someone to bounce ideas off with. You often have a group of yeah. people that you're collaborating with to solve a problem. 
your, you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The <laughs> yeah. phone. Yeah. And I, and it so kind of just like this light bulb moment. Yeah. It's like, we should actually be teaching people yeah, how to how collaborate to, effectively right, and, and how, how to get use, the information, how to use your resources and, yeah. and distill it because right. now it's like, Oh, oh what, this must be true because it's, it's on here. the internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so of course it's true. But, but yeah. it was like a mind and switch. I mean, that's huge, honestly, in medicine too. Like you, I mean, there's, oh my God. I mean, like you know, how many patients do you have come to you that like I googled this, I googled that. There's you know? a lot of. I actually, it's one of somebody I actually gave it to. I had um, an MA going to um, medical school that I gave it to, but like somebody gave me a mug once that was like, you know, please do not like, you know, exchange <laughs> your Google search for my medical degree. Um, but no, we ha we have a lot of that. And the other thing is, there's so much stuff that's online where the patients are like, you're always two clicks away from something that's like scary and dangerous yes, and not like is. a real source. And so like when our breast cancer patients come in, I'm like, if you are online, it's getting you stressed out. Put the mouse down, step away from the computer. Yeah. And also pay attention to what sites you are on. There's like tons of great information, um, which is wonderful, but you, you can click on and, you know, particularly, honestly, I think, and this is probably true of a lot of other things, like being anonymous and online and all these like forums and people yeah. you know, with all these other things. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of information that's, you know, kind of, I imagine crowd with like pitchforks and, you know, like <laughs> stuff like that, that, yes. I, so I, it's, it's really, it's interesting. So no, I think it is really so yeah. important to be able to figure out like what's good information and how to read a paper and how to, you know, it's do interesting. All stuff. My husband um, is on the recovery side mm. of esophageal mm -hmm. cancer and is doing great yeah. and i remember i watched that podcast oh, okay. <laughs> that yeah that so i remember yeah. when we when he was diagnosed and i looked it up oh no yeah it's a really bad one to look up and yeah. you know the first thing the oncologist is like you know whatever you're reading it's typically three to five years behind right so just know you know and another friend who had had like family members she said you know it was just helpful to like it's so easy to it's so there and you want, you want to know. And then all of a sudden you don't want to know. Yeah. Like, oh, I yeah, wish yeah, I yeah. hadn't looked, but I, and in his case, at least so far it's proven to be true where, you know, that he was eligible for certain things and FDA right. approved things literally the day he was getting surgery. So wow. then you're like, yeah. you know, so it's like, to your point of like, maybe it's a, you want, all, you know, it's good to be informed and it's just data points, but it's not right law or yeah. like you know and there's different ways of going about things and even yeah. different like kind of communities and country might have slightly different ways of doing stuff and so it's never wrong to like ask the question you know or get another opinion or see like whatever more information um but it it's not not everything is totally black and white and again you're so right about the information like the information it's that's outdated, out there right can be really old yeah. and it's hard to tell you know so i have a question about uh so many questions but one one about you know, functional medicine mm -hmm. and integrative mm -hmm. medicine and, you know, traditional medicine. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because you're heavily rooted in traditional medicine, mm -hmm. it seems, right? Yeah. So do you have thoughts and opinions on that? Or, you know, I find that as I'm aging, you know, I'm having some issues and at least in the sort of the GP world or like next level up specialists, like here's a pill, here's a pill, here's a pill. Yeah. And I, I'm sort of like, there's, I think there's other ways to maybe mm -hmm. get at some of this stuff. So I'm not saying I'm not looking for you to necessarily like a spokesperson for either, but I'm curious from your like having your experiences, your background, your education, recognizing there's probably a lot more now out about functional medicine and integrative medicine compared to when you started. Like what right. how does it impact what you do or do you consider it very separate?
Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. So certain things that I do, I am like a highly trained man at labor. And so it's very technical. Do you know what I mean? And so there's certain things that like breast reduction, whatever, you know, somebody's having, and there's people that want this for cosmetic reasons. And there's a substantial, you know, part of the population with this that have like tremendous back pain and shoulder pain and right. all these other things. Are there a million different things? Could you go to a chiropractor? Can you go and have acupuncture? Can you do other stuff and help the back pain? You certainly can. But when you have all these things kind of co-aliding. Right. It, and they're coming to you like that's and your lane me, and that's my lane and yeah. that's what I do. The, the patients aren't really looking for anything else. They're yes. looking to address this problem. Um, and then we see it a little bit. So I, you know, I, the patients that I'm seeing aren't really, it's not really a discussion topic. Like point. It doesn't yeah. really come up and it doesn't help them. And there's certain things with, you know, in, again, like the cancer patients. And I think like the mindset and the mental state is so important for that. I think mm-hmm. if the patients have decided they're going to do really terribly just never go as well even like surgically they just don't go as well so I think for some people being in a state where either you know some of these things give them more control they feel better they're able to get rid of other stresses I think they do do better um and we're kind of mediocre I think at best at doing that and and some of it depends you know there's I, I mean I think it's just time and resources and everything else so you know, there's breast cancer navigators that help and they, you know, will say, oh, there's these services and there's mm-hmm. these other things can do. Some patients are very involved in secondary care. And then you get it where it, it skews a little bit off the other side where patients, there's really good scientific evidence that like somebody really, there's a huge reason for them to have chemotherapy. And they're kind of like, yeah, I think mm. I'm going to go do this thing over here instead where there's no data. But the people tell me it does just as well and everything's going to be okay. And it, yeah. That can be a little frustrating or feel yeah. like to, to you, obviously, like here's the obvious answer that's going to give you the best chances. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time, but there definitely are, you know, patients who really, really, really want to pursue alternative mm-hmm. things. And it's really tricky because some of those things don't work and you lose a window of opportunity for treating yeah. something before things really go awry. So I've had, and I've encountered a couple patients that have chosen to do some alternative yeah other things on the other side like I don't think I you know necessarily met them before and you know things Mm -hmm. are so like obviously if everything's fixed I'm not going to see them um I don't (laughs) know how you know like yeah so I wonder too like as I'm you know going through my own stuff I start to think of it like it's just it's smart to have a holistic view so if you have some of that in your life where Mm -hmm. it's not maybe all one or the other or there's at least some different perspectives and it's you know I think and if it makes you feel better and you're more calm everything else is going to go better for for you and so like I don't think it's like something to get rid of and like I think some people have just their disposition is such that they can just do yeah traditional things and they're completely fine and some people I think really do need other things as well and it's just it's interesting. I started working with this one chiropractor and he's a little bit of integrative, a little bit of mm-hmm. like um, dry needling, yeah, a little yeah. bit of nutrition. But the thing that I like about him, one, he's normal. Yeah. Uh, that's like just he's yeah. not selling me a bunch of stuff. Sure. And he's not pushing like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you hear with chiropractors like you've got to do this every week for the rest of your life, you know. But the thing that I like, too, it's like he's like you need a team of people mm-hmm. like you need your 
you know, yeah. your GP and your gastro and whoever, you know, it's like, it's yeah. a, it should be a team of people mm-hmm. that are helping to connect dots. And right. I love that idea. Which, of which like, is, and that's, and that's yeah. great. And so, yeah. And again, so not from, all one, maybe not all the other, or everybody's so different. Like right. I think, right. There's yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. And so again, for certain, um, I think issues lend themselves to, to that a little bit better we get a little bit more bogged down because there's certain things that you need to kind of get done. And if you don't get them, like, you know, when mm-hmm. time is of the essence. Yes. But, you know, a lot, particularly the oncology practices have, most of the ones particularly in this area have lots of alternative yeah. things that I think are that available, which is good. Do you remember your first solo surgery and oh, how nerve wracking that was? Or the, like, do you remember, like, were you nervous when you were sort of in that mode? That's so funny. Um, no. I, so there's a, a combination of things. Okay. Um, so one of which is that as you're doing your training, you kind of start in scrubbing in on like smaller cases and maybe holding some hooks and you start to do a little bit and then you maybe close in. And then as you're going through, because the training is long, mm-hmm. you're doing a little bit more and a little bit more. So by the time you get to, towards your end year, which they call the cheap year, yeah, you're kind of you know, not only making decisions, but like doing surgeries and the other people may be Helping looking you. over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll just be in the room and not scrubbed in and things. So you get to do more and more. So I don't recall that being interesting as huge of a jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, it's just kind of, it, it is kind of like, I just, I don't remember. It is interesting though when you're on the, in an office, I mean, it's the decision-making like, yes, you know, what are we going to do? When are we going to do it? What, you know, that kind of thing. And it's all on you. Like now you're a, mm-hmm. kind of a party of one. Yeah. So that's got to be kind of scary sometimes. So that sometimes it's, it, yeah, I, th- I remember thinking that. And, you know, it's fortunate where I trained because they did a combination of both things. So you spend a lot of time in the office as well as mm. time in the OR. And there's other programs where you, it's very OR intensive, which sometimes I'm like, gosh, I would wish I had done a few more of these before I finished or whatever. But I think it all comes back to managing the pre-op and the post-op things is at least as important as what you do you have days do. that you are all like are your surgery days mm-hmm. and then you have office days and yeah. what's the balance mm-hmm. of that it's a it's about 50 50 it's maybe a tiny bit more or but some of the or is minor procedures in like in the office oh. so depending on you know so i might have like two days that are in the or and two days that are in the office and then one day that might be a variety of procedures kind of all over the body and all, yeah. you know, some, some bigger, some smaller that we're able to do actually just in the office. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, nice. yeah. Do you like that variety? And like, do you, are your OR days your favorite days? The OR days are probably the favorite days. <laughs> so it's a combination of things. It's one of which is like, you're working with a team of people that you generally know and like, and once you kind of get going, it's, you're just sort of doing things. And the other thing that's really nice about being in the OR, people don't bother you. They're like, oh, she's oh, in the opera reading room. No when you're in the office, like there's constant phone calls. There's constant people. Like there's lots and lots more stuff to do. Oh, this form has to be signed for this person. You have to do this yeah. for this. This needs to be sent. You're kind of like escape most of that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. when you're in the operating room. So it's a very calm, you know, generally pleasant um, place. Yeah. I, do miss, I mean, I do like talking to the patients, but sometimes after those days, there's, there's so many things that come up these days that are a little fresh and it's mostly like insurance based right. stuff, which yeah. is just a pain to do. If you, you know, it sounds like you guys probably had to deal with some stuff of, yeah. Yeah, with that. Yeah. And, and that can just be like annoying and frustrating. And 
stuff, you know, and I, again, my office staff is great. The patients are great. Um, but like sometimes like the end of the day, I'm like, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I would, that was, mm. that's a good segue to what's the, if you had to name what you enjoy the most about what you do in terms of, you know, the area that you picked and the practice that you have, mm -hmm. like, if like, what's, what's what's sort of the top of list of what gets you up, you know, that shower <sighs> test in the morning, you yeah. up, you're like, I'm looking forward to this today. So I like, you know, it's like doing the surgery, which is great. And it's great when the patients come in afterwards and they're like really happy about the process, you know, they feel this good. is great. They feel good. They're really happy. They're like, oh my gosh, this was easier than I thought, you know, and you just feel like, wow, they had a really good experience. Everything turned out really well. Yes. And that's great. And you don't have a hundred percent control. So sometimes it doesn't go that way. Um, yeah. That's you know, gotta be hard. Yeah. Which is hard. And it can be for like huge varieties of reasons. And there's certain things that are just trickier or more difficult, you know, like, and I tell people just even with skin cancer, breast cancer, we didn't choose where to put this, like, you know, so like, yeah, if I had chosen, I want to put it on the front of your nose or, on, you know, here and there. And like, so there's sometimes issues just because of where it is, where things are or how things go, that it's a little bit more, you know, mm -hmm. challenging. And you can't guarantee, <clears throat> like, it's such that part of it. It's like, you're probably... Mm -hmm. Even though you've been doing this for 20 years, yeah. you can say, here's what I expect, but it may right. not. And, and people are a little bit different. And I tell people, you know, I can guarantee that I'll do my best job. I can't guarantee exactly how things, yeah. you know, will come out. And again, the vast majority of the things that we do, we know what we're kind of getting into and, it, and things go well. Um, but again, even just, again, with the cancers, like things are looking really good. And oh no, now they have to have radiation and that. You know, affects how yeah. things look, whether, you know, it, you're more prone for infection afterwards and other things that, again, you can't control 100% yeah. of the time. And so yeah. sometimes it'll be like a patient from two years ago now has, you know, oh, and again, yeah. it, it tends to be a very small subset of breast reconstruction patients, but that can end up with a problem sort of on down the road or, you know. Yeah. So, and then, um, so the best part is the helping people and them being happy and feeling yeah. like, yeah, you've had the positive impact on there. And then what about like on the, on the kind of frustrating side? I would say it, nine out of 10 issues are insurance-based. Yeah. That's Dealing what with heard. the insurance companies and um, like the admin kind of insurance. It's the side. admin yeah. staff getting things um, pre-certified. The insurance companies kind of being a little bit obstructionist and trying to not do yeah. things and they they have a way of doing it where they're kind of trying to I feel like pit very consciously patients against doctors they'll be like oh it'll be covered if your doctor codes it right and I'm like mm. Mm, no that's not how that works or they'll be like oh yeah these are really not the guidelines that we have that are in the policy type that we have other guidelines and you don't really need to meet these and they'll tell the patients that like your doctor just needs to do it and then it'll be fine and sometimes I'll get the I mean you waste yeah. 25 minutes in the office on the phone like with the patient we'll get the people on the phone and then they'll be like oh yeah no sorry like we mm -hmm. didn't really mean that. Right. Like, and the patients are like, oh, and I was right. like, this is all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of it is just dealing with the insurance companies. Um, I think makes me really, it's really a grind. A grind. So I think that's the hardest thing. And I would say there's like probably, I mean, it's probably less than one in a hundred. It's probably less than one in a hundred patients that, you know, can be difficult too but the, it ruins you for days really just days it's really that and that's like because i think people take it to heart you know but i mean sometimes it can even be like you know there's different options you recommend an option they want this option not going to get the same result and they're like no no i really don't care i really don't want that i just need this little thing fixed and i'll be really happy and then you do the little thing and they're like 
this isn't what I wanted. You know, so little yeah. things like that. It doesn't happen often. It's as so I've gotten older, right? Yeah, but yeah. as I've gotten older, I'm much better about really teasing that out. And so it, that's much less common. But I remember being just like destroyed by those kind of things. Yeah. Like when you're younger, because you, you care don't. too. Well, you care, and you kind of feel like it was all sort of out on the table, and then yeah. it was like there was what a happened? change, and I was like, what happens with this? But for the most part now, like. You know, I'm I'm bold and crotchety, and like I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's not going to work. We're not doing that one. Right. Like, you know, yeah. no doubt. <laughs> uh, okay, now I have uh, a two-parter. One is, is as you were talking, and this may or may not be a thing. As as a plastics or as a you know mm. as plastic surgery being your lane within the medical community, is there any stigma with that? Do you feel like you have? You it's, know, and do you care? I mean, at this um, point, you know, it might not it even be a thing. It isn't. So I was, I mean, I think this year I'm probably maybe slightly more cosmetic than insurance-based. But definitely there is a little bit because there's people that are just doing cosmetic stuff, big fancy offices, marketing, never, you know, like not really involved in any of the other treatment and so they're kind of, they're a little bit out of the fray because they're not usually in the hospital. They're usually in the, you know, the oh, surgery like a center, center. Uh-huh. Um, and stuff like that. And, it, it, you know, there's some people that, you know, the reputation is they're, you know, here and it's like a money grab. And yeah. It's a money grab and like, it's a like very glitzy yeah. and maybe poor decision-making because, you know, and you're not just really, are this. you really healing people, right? If the Right. And you it, went through all of this, you know, training and stuff like that to, you know, whatever, put in breast implants or suck fat out of people or whatever. Right. Um, so maybe a little bit. Um, I feel like, you know, on the other hand, I was kind of laughing because for a while I did like, I had a lot of wound care cases mm-hmm. and I, I, some other things just when you're starting out because you get sort of not super great or glamorous cases. <laughs> Yeah. And you're doing this. And I remember somebody coming up to me and they were asking my opinion because they valued it. But they're like, Wendy, where would you send somebody for a breast reduction? I'm like, I'll do that. Uh-huh. Like, you know? Yeah. But like, you don't also want to be the butt sore girl. Like, you know? <laughs> um, so like, it was just sort of interesting. Like, <laughs> yeah. but again, you know, I do. And I think like, you know, I do the, some of the cancer cases. I've had to scale back on which insurances I participate with just because some of them are super difficult to deal with. Maybe not as much for the cancer, but for other things. Some of them will just decide, like, we're going to pay you this, like, really, actually, very, very bad rate, which is mm-hmm. actually a lot of them. But, like, sometimes it's beyond. Even worse. Yeah. It, it's worse than beyond. And so, you know, we've gotten rid of some of them. And, you know, and I think people understand that. But it, it's interesting. And I think we haven't been able to change a lot of that because most of the doctors are like, oh, I'll just take it. I'll just do more cases or see more patients. And I'm like, you've sort of established that doesn't work that's well. That's not working, yeah. And that's actually a great segue to accessibility. One of the yeah. things that, you know, I was talking with my team before you came in about, we were, you know, thinking about the questions. And I think, I'm curious from your perspective, has the accessibility changed? Are more people able to get plastic surgery mm-hmm. now than, I, I, my, and I have nothing to base this on. Yeah. It feels like it's more accessible, like where something think- used to be. Hundreds of thousands, maybe yeah. it's like tens of thousands, but right. And there's also lots of things that are kind of um, non-operative sort okay. of options. So it's not like everybody is all of a sudden at some you know X age getting like a facelift. You know, people might come in and do a little bit of Botox or a filler or yeah. a peel or you know some people might do a little cool sculpting and not do liposuction or, or things that are a little smaller, but they're still sort of like mm. cosmetic surgery. And I think it is funny because sometimes. There's, I mean, I have lots of patients who come in and they, sometimes they, you know, 
they might even come in with a friend or they might do this. And then I have some people coming in saying, oh, I'm going out to lunch with my friends. And last time we all discussed how terrible Botox was and I would never do it. And like, she was there like clearly getting her face. I mean, yeah. you know, just kind of joking. So it is still like, there is still little stigmas. People like don't want to admit like, oh, I wouldn't want to admit that I've done this or done this thing. And then other people are like, like super open, super open. And I remember I walked in on a patient and she's just getting off her phone. She's like, she told me, just got off the phone with my husband. I told him where he was. And honestly, he was a little judgmental. He's like, yeah. she's like, I told him all those women you think look so good. They're all doing it. Um, you know, so, yes. so I think there, you know, there, I, I, a lot of people do do it. And, you know, I think people are generally much more open than they would have been about plastic surgery things in the past, but there still is a little bit of like, yeah, it's an you know, interesting dynamic of like, um, the judginess around it. Yeah. And I, hopefully we're getting better about people have a right to change mm -hmm. and evolve and if it makes them feel good and it makes them feel whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're trying to accomplish like there's value in that and why do we even have to judge it like right. why does it matter yeah and it's it's kind of people's own and it's it's a variety of things because things obviously change as you get older and then I have patients who are like older in the workforce and they're like you know like my whole office is 20 somethings and like I really am very self-conscious and I want to kind of feel and look a little bit more youthful. So it's, it's a whole variety of things. Um, and again, my practice is largely women. Again, I do a lot of breast stuff and yeah. I am a female. Um, but you know, we do operate on men too. I was going to ask you and that. I was do you say, have male patients? I do have a male patients and I have male patients for, you know, why I was late this morning, but that are doing facial things and some body things. Um, you know, some of them are doing a little bit of Botox. Some of them do some skincare. Um, and they do, but like one of the male patients was like, listen, you know, I'm like an older dad and like, yeah, I'm around all these people and like, I'm looking like the grandfather and like, I would like to, you know, look a little bit more youthful. So they are, there are people that are doing it. I don't think they talk to their buddies as much about it sure. as women do. Sure. Um, but there definitely are, you know, a significant increase, I think, in male patients. Talk to me a little bit about the cool sculpting. What oh, is that? So it is uh, cryolipolysis, which is basically freezing fat. Um, and so it, I don't know if you even can't remember when it came out. I think we got our machine maybe 2016, 2017. It's been through a bit of iterations. It's gotten a ton of bad press recently, I which see. has been really interesting to kind of watch. Some of it is probably real and some of it is probably not. Um, but we have a machine and we love it. It's not a substitute for everything, but it's, it's really good for treating small areas of fat that are like out of proportion to the rest of the body that you can do in the office. No anesthetic, no need for any recovery, no incisions. It's a little applicator that goes on and stays on. And, you know, the shorter ones are like 35 minutes. There's some that are up to like an hour and 15. And it basically causes the cells to undergo a programmed cell death and go away and it reduces them and it's permanent just kind of the way liposuction pulls oh, them out but it's not mechanical and so there's no scar it tends to treat very evenly um there, there are some complications that can occur and so we tell you know obviously talk to the patients ahead of time about that and they generally can be treated but they've gotten a lot of press oh. like the linda evangelista thing and everything um, but it's, it's one of those things which again it's very interesting because i have a friend who's in another field of medicine and he is just fed up and he's like I just want to open a med spa and I'm like yeah yeah and I was like but the thing is about this is and there's other patients that are probably like it didn't really do what I wanted it to do but I think I think an MD has to maybe buy the machine I don't know but anybody can kind of run it and so there's places in strip malls that have these machines wow. and I'm sure it's a person on some sort of commission for the number of treatments they perform and so 
I see patients for it all the time that are like, you're not a candidate or you could do it, but you'd be better off and it'd be cheaper to do liposuction or, you know, or this and that. And if, or you need a tummy tuck, you don't need any fat removed. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're sitting in a strip mall with this machine and you're just getting paid if you do treatments, you know, yeah. like you're a hammer and everybody's yeah. a nail. And yeah. so like, yeah. and so I think those patients probably got disappointing results, but it wasn't the right thing. It's kind of know your like where are you getting it? Know your source. Yeah, know your source, and that and that's one of those things where I just I I tell people if you're going to look at that, and again, it's great. Like I've done it. Like my Mm -hmm. office staff has done it. Like you know, yeah, I'm setting myself on for a date like in a few weeks. Like when I have some time (laughs) up, I tell people like the Washington Monument. It's there, and I've never been to see it. Like I just it's always there. Yeah, but I I mean I have been to see the cool sculpting machine, but just I would like to see it a little bit more. And like I just you know again. But so I do think it works. We have lots of patients that have been really happy with it, but it's not the be all end all. I think it's like a nice tool to have, but it's not going to replace. Yeah. Let's talk about the, uh, the, the like, inter- so if, like lift, yeah. tuck, suck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's what it's called, but like, yeah. I've heard that now there's more of a trend where you can like, you know. Like, I, let, yeah. let's use me, right? Like, I've had three boys, mm-hmm. so there's definitely some stuff in that mm-hmm. lower gut area that's yeah. never going to probably be resolved. Yeah. Uh, these girls, have, you know, I would love a little lift. Right. I've always flirted with, because they're kind of big, and yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that. My husband's like, don't ever get them reduced. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind, yeah. you know, a yeah. little reduce and a lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, the lift is part of the reduction. People love their reductions, even if it's just a small reduction. They really love them, and I, it's funny because the husbands are always like, "Oh, she doesn't really need to do this. We're all good. Everything's yeah. good." And it's funny because almost uniformly afterwards, they're like, "Oh yeah, this was a good decision." Because I think it makes the contour better, and it's much easier to feel kind of sexier when things are not so little, like and That's flopping so around. I just, you know, so people usually are very, very happy with that um, because you know things are up. There's not as much overhang, you know, and again, it's all your own tissue. Um, yeah. So it's not like you're having it's to not like you're adding an implant anything. or you're adding anything in. You can just. And then what about doing other things at the same, you know, is it better? To, do you, do you try to do like, okay, I'm doing this one thing or because people are like, Hey, while you're, yeah, while so you're it, in there. It, it very much depends. Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 8,000 listeners and 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. Okay. So um, you can combine a couple things. I have like a very arbitrary like six hours and we're out. Like that's that's a long long case. And I actually try to keep them a little bit shorter. And honestly, in the surgery center, they want you three and a half to four hours to be done. Yeah. So there's so many things that go really, really well together. And, you know, for people's convenience, too, it's both like one anesthetic, one recovery, the time off of work. Right, right. And all these things. I think some things are really great to combine together. And I think some things are much better separate because sometimes all people come in with like many different things where I'm like, this is kind of a lot. Like you're going to be miserable. 
because it's, it's, a, it's like, and it's, surgery is more risky. I mean, the longer you're in there, it's, it's more risky. And then, if, you know, risky for clots and other issues apart from just mm. having a lot of areas to heal. So certain things, I mean, I think the breast and the abdomen together are like a great it's combination okay. yeah. because it's one kind of position. We're not like having to mm. move people around. And because when you change the breast or change the abdomen, you're changing that whole like unit and change the appearance. So if you do both things at once, I think like the results like are great. Um, you know, there's a few people I'm, I still would probably not combine that with, and it just sort of depends on medical profile and things like that. For the tummy tuck thing, yeah. is that you're sucking fat? What is no. it? I don't even know what okay, it is. Okay, so there's different things, and this is all depends on what's going on. I love it. So most of the time <laughs> yeah. when women have kids, like, you know, maybe one kid, everything sort of snaps back really nicely. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're very lucky, we hate those people. Um, <laughs> and then like the second, third, or particularly big babies and stuff like that, or just, you know, that you're stretchy, um, a couple things happen. One of which the skin stretches out. It doesn't always unstretch all that well. So there can be laxity yeah. just in the skin. And there's nothing, you can't fix that right. without trimming it off. Like you can do sit-ups all day, every day. It's not going back together. The other thing is there's, a, you know, a pair of muscles, rectus muscles that go from the bottom of the, you know, sternum down to the pubic. Mm -hmm. And those are like, they're rubber bands. They're stiff. So when the pregnancy happens, they tend to kind of scoot over to the sides a little bit more versus stretching over. Mm -hmm. And so when you're done, like again, one kid, maybe it comes back mm -hmm. a couple more, maybe not as much. And some people it's, you know, can be pretty Rough. wide. And depending on how everything is, some people can have a little bit of a diastasis and it's no issue. Some people, when they stand up, everything falls forward like they're 15 months pregnant. Mm. Um, so the combination of the things we do is usually making an incision down low, lifting everything up except for the belly button, usually moving those muscles together. And even if you don't have a big diastasis, like kind of getting mm -hmm. that together can be really helpful in the shape, pulling off the extra, trimming it off and making a little opening for the belly button. So sometimes if people, you know, have a little extra on the outside, we can do a little liposuction here, a tiny bit, like a little more conservatively here if we're trying to also, mm -hmm. you know, get rid of that. But I tell people that surgery just in general is best when you're like relatively close to a goal weight. Like if somebody's really heavy, it's not always the best surgery. And we do have some patients that do that and there's things that you can do. And again, depending on what the expectations are. Yeah. And how healthy they are otherwise and everything you can still get. You can still get a, a nice improvement, but it's. Yeah, it's not going to solve. It's not, not going to be like, oh, miracle. I it's look not totally gonna be, different. It's not going to be the miracle that the other one is. And then the other thing is there's fat that's underneath kind of the muscle layer, visceral fat that's around your organs and stuff like that. Nobody's touching that, like not with liposuction uh, cannula, not cutting it out or anything. And that can make people very kind of protuberant. Like if you imagine guys, like a lot of yeah, men have like bowl, a big yeah. belly, but you go to pinch and there's no fat and they come in for stuff all the time. I was like, I can't, there's, I have nothing, mm. you know, but of course when they get to lose weight, it just melts off, you know, so <laughs> really annoying. Yeah, yeah, annoying. But annoying. anyway, but, yeah. the, but in some, and that's typically a, a lot more men are like that with a little bit on the outside. Women tend to have more on the outside, less on the inside, but there's some women that have a lot. And if they have that very rounded mm -hmm. belly with a lot of visceral fat that doesn't, you know, kind of collapse when they lie down and stuff, you're not going to be able to make that, understand. you know, as flat. So. And then what do you say, like with respect to like risk associated mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. you know, surgery, like there's obviously like a lot about if you're going to go under the knife, it's, you know, like yeah. you are sort of, what is so, that sort of risk mm -hmm. reward profile? Like, do you, yeah. So, I mean, I tell people with anything, whether it's taking off a mole or open heart surgery, yeah. bleeding, infection, scarring, anesthesia. 
those things, you know, and we, we optimize them and I tell people, you know, the healthier you are, the, you know, elective anesthesia in a prepared patient is very safe. Mm -hmm. Um, there can always be risks of very unusual, you know, for healthy people, you know, Bleeding is, again, unusual. We take precautions with that. We actually worry a little bit more about clotting, particularly for longer surgeries and those you know, mm-hmm. things that we do um, to help prevent that. Scarring is inevitable. And again, I tell people, I'll do my best job. I'll tell you what we need you to do to get the best result. But there will be scars and they don't ever go away. They improve mm-hmm. over time. They don't go away. And then infections, again, are usually relatively rare. Most surgeries have sort of a protocol of like, do you give a dose of antibiotics pre-op do you give some post-op none at all right you know and there's um just different stratifications to decide what to do for that so i tell people you know there are other risks of having you know particularly cosmetic things is it's not going to get you where you want to be right you know could you require another surgery later on particularly for something like a breast implant that may need to be replaced at a later date Mm -hmm. again clotting is really big on our radar because yeah um because there's very few things that like would you know, potentially be fatal for a plastic surgery patient. But those are things, and we have, again, we have guidelines to figure yeah, out. To make sure, like. It, who needs to be aggressively treated and, you know, who needs to be watched. And, you know, we tell people about risks for that and what to do if they get any symptoms. What's the recovery symptoms? like for some of these things? Like, what can people mm-hmm. expect if they're, I wonder um, if they think, mm-hmm. like, oh, I go in and, you know. Oh, and, and sometimes, it's like, yeah. So we I'm try to feel, be very honest about that because yeah. they vary a lot. So, like, a full tummy tuck with that muscle repair is probably one of the things that's the slowest recovery for us, just in terms of you're going to feel really tight. You're not going to be able to do any heavy lifting, getting back to real vigorous activity. You know, you're probably looking at six weeks. Walking, gentle stretching, you can do as soon as you feel able. Okay. So, some, so you know, so that's, like, kind of a longer one. Some of the things are shorter. The main thing, honestly, I feel like, um, just in terms of recovery, is not, it's not so much even getting back to the activities. It's the swelling is going to take, a, it can take months to settle down for some of these things. And you'll see a good result relatively early, but you're not going to be, see the final result for a few months. What is the swelling mm-hmm. a result of? Like, is it just because you're, is it just inflammation? Mm-hmm. Like what is? Yeah. And, and having surgery in your body's response to it. And it depends on what it is. I think that, you know, liposuction, we're putting fluid in too. And then, uh, and then we pull things, you know, pull things out. So I tell people you'll see a result, but it's not going to be the final result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, over time. yeah, it takes yeah. it takes time. How long for breast stuff does it take? Um, it depends. So the breast patients, a lot of them will be like, "I felt better on the car ride home." Like they I have usually... someone that just got. Uh, she's um, we've always talked mm-hmm. big boobs together. Yeah, <laughs> and she she finally did it, and she was like, "I just it, the whole like I wish I had done this twenty years ago." Yeah, like she felt so much better. Like she's like she had the you know mm-hmm. like there's certain stuff you're wearing yeah. or whatever, but she said it seemed like pretty like immediate almost. Yeah. So a lot of patients feel great, particularly because they had a lot of pain beforehand. And my expectation with that is you might need pain medication for a day or two and then maybe Tylenol after that. So that's not Um, like... So it's not bad, but I don't want you doing like super vigorous activity for a couple weeks. But again, I tell people walking, lifting a half a gallon of milk for almost everything we do is okay. Yeah. And then just to gradually increase. And I tell people there's with this, there's a lot of common sense approach to healing so we'll tell you when you can start mm. to do things. And then you have to pay attention to your body. Almost, so if you yeah. start to do something and it really hurts, it's a sign not to do it. And it's different from like, you know, people get their knee replaced or something and you have to move that knee because it'll get stuck. Right. Even if it really hurts. This is not that surgery. I like see. for the vast majority of time, like I tell people, you know, take it a little easy, see how you're doing, do a little bit. If it feels good, next day you can do a little bit more. All right. One other. Yeah. <laughs> I have these other questions I have to ask you, mm-hmm. but 
on the plastic surgery side. So my sisters and I, we all like we all have big arms. And my mm-hmm. one sister's like, I really want lipo in my arms. Yeah. So what is that even a thing? Can it you, is a thing. Can so you it do is a that? Thing. So you can do lipo, you can do cool sculpting. Um we don't have the super best ways of just tightening skin, like magically and tightening it. Um, but there are some adjuncts that can be helpful when you're doing okay. liposuction to kind of get the skin to tighten up as much as it's going you know, to. I always worry, like, does then it look weird? Like, if you do it there, I mean, I guess everybody, this is where you're going to say, like, yeah. everybody's different. But I do wonder, like, uniformly, if then this becomes smaller, does everything look out of proportion? Well, that's Unless what I tell people, you, like, if that's the area that's out of proportion. So this, but, this yeah. liposuction and all of these things, I feel like it's, it, you know, they're not, none of them are weight loss procedures. Because we get patients in all the time. That are like, oh yeah, like I need to lose like literally pounds, help me or, out. Or more than that. Like, yeah. You know, like yeah. hundreds or a hundred pounds. And I'm like, this is not for that. This is I for see. treating contour abnormality in the area that's out of proportion. So liposuctioning an arm that's not out of proportion, you know, might uh, make it look a little bit funny. But if it is, if you feel like that's an yes. area that looks it doesn't look like it belongs with the rest of you, then it should get it more that's in proportion good. and it should feel better. People worry sometimes and I seen a lot of this unless I guess there's a lot of liposuction you know people are always like well is it going to come back somewhere else and I was like well it doesn't really you know like once it's removed it's removed you can still gain weight and if you gain weight there's a chance it could distribute a little bit differently if we've removed a lot right and some people will still just gain in the same area so I do tell people like that you know that's a that can happen or and the fat the thing with fat cells is like they either shrink or expand Mm. I guess the idea is like once they expand, they that's where they where they end up until you suck them out. Is that the well, di- you like- can, if you lose, they'll get smaller. Okay. If you lose on your own, they'll get smaller. So the idea is that there's a certain number, except for in some very rare circumstances, and the number doesn't really change. So people are like, oh, if you suck them out, like then I'll have less. Well, one is I'll have less, but you can still gain weight, and like with the ones you have left, because you're not going to get rid of all of them, or do you, sure. you don't want to. Right. Like, you want to have a nice thin, even layer. The ones that you have left can get bigger and smaller again. And again, some people will always gain in and you can liposuction their thighs. And if they gain weight, they will gain it back in the thighs. Some people are like, oh my gosh, uh, I now gained it in my ass. Like, you know, that's, yeah. you know, after treatment. So it's hard to tell. So I tell people you really want to try to maintain after Wait, liposuction because yeah. you don't want to find out where it's going to go. Like, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And do you have some people that are get obsessed with it? You hear about that too, there, where it's like, um, I did this, not, now I want to do this. I did this, now I want to do that. You know, can it become... I have a few patients that come back for things because they were like, oh, I was kind of thinking about this, but like, it wasn't really that big of a deal. But then this was pretty easy. And so yeah. Now, so we do have people coming back, but we don't have people like, I don't think feel like we have a ton that are like, oh my gosh, and now everything's really good, but now my toenail, like, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The big toe needs to be reduced. Usually, usually people find, yeah. you know, kind of. And you, know, I think face would be really nerve wracking. So do you mm-hmm. do a lot of face stuff? Or? I do more breast and body. I do do some faces and some eyelids. Um, and I do find it more nerve wracking partially because it's a little bit outside of like what the majority of my practice is. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is like a tiny bit of swelling in your breast or your abdomen, particularly when you've reduced things a lot, really well tolerated tiny bit of swelling in your face goes a really long way <laughs> like you know so yeah. I, I just I just find for me like you know in terms of sometimes like the, even waiting for the swelling to come down or if people have a little bit of bruise or something like that that you're just like you know it's it's a bigger deal stressful. because again it's stressful yeah. I mean in a way it was great during COVID you know mask up you're not yes. seeing anybody there's no parties there's no weddings yeah. like yeah have to go to town yeah. and people are very tolerant of it because yeah. they didn't you know there's no place to go 
So now we're back kind of to normal and, you know, people are. How long is it, like, if I come and see you tomorrow and I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I want a breast reduction and a breast lift, mm -hmm. how long is the process of, like, you and I talking about that, figuring out what it is, and then the actual surgery? Like, is so, it a lengthy time? Is it, um, so it's is so that in part on your availability? It's you a little know? bit availability. Sometimes it's availability of the OR. Like, I might have a free day, you might have a free uh, day, and we have no OR anesthesia, which we obviously need. So it's a little bit, and then sometimes if it's a reduction where we're trying to get the insurance to cover it, that can, that'll, that'll add like probably a month. Mm -hmm. Maybe not, but it can frequently add some time on. So usually I meet people at least twice, like even people that are like hellbent, like I absolutely want to have this done. I've been researching it for years. I've seen a bunch of people, you know, I want to come in. So we usually meet people, you know, once. And I would say we could probably in the office about an hour and we, mm -hmm. you know, talk through things. We kind of show them where we think we're going to get them, go over the whole process of what happens, what happens afterwards. And then if they decide they want to kind of go through with that, you know, whether it's either, you know, cosmetic, we discuss the logistics of that, or if it's insurance, we try and get that mm -hmm. covered and set. And then when we schedule the OR, we schedule the OR and we schedule pre-op usually at the same time. Some people are like, need to come in and talk a few times before they're comfortable scheduling. And that's fine too. And we have some people that are like, you know, I really like to get this done tomorrow, you know? So it's, it, it, yeah. it, it really varies. And I've had patients that have come in. Actually, we did somebody, and I felt so badly for her. She can't, She must have come in, I don't know, either four or five years ago, and she kind of hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed and waited and waited, and she, then she had her surgery scheduled for, like, April 2020 when the hours were all shut down. Oh, jeez. And so then it was COVID, so she got canceled, and then her significant other has some really serious health issues, so she kind of was, like, not anxious to go back in the OR. So then we waited maybe another year. And then she's like, you know, I think I'm feeling better about doing this. So then we got on the schedule again. And then I think a partner maybe got COVID. So then we oh had to cancel gosh. again. I think then she finally got it done. Then you start to be like, maybe I should, what? Yeah, and we finally got it oh, done. But it was kind of like, it was one of those things where like, it yeah. was never going to happen, you know? So that was probably the longest yeah. person I've had on my like active list that just ever. I mean, I think it was either four or five years until we finally. Yeah got it done. But. What's your perspective on, um, so I have just a couple left, you know, one, uh, I ask all of my guests about soft skills and I'm thinking about, I mean, there's some, I think that are obvious, maybe given that you're working with patients and so you have to have some sort of mm -hmm. interpersonal acumen to be able mm -hmm. to do that. But I'm, I'm curious for you, if you think about the 20 years of owning your own practice and running a business and that coupled mm -hmm. with what you do for a job, um, even as like, you're looking for candidates to work in your practice mm -hmm. or, you know, what are some of the things that you look for or what do you think are the soft skills that mm -hmm. really position people well in, in your space and industry? And by that, you, I think you know what I mean yeah. by them, but just um, in terms of, you know, honestly, right now I have a really good staff, yeah, which I haven't always had. And yeah. It's been a long time coming, trying to like build, kind of it. build it and figure out in, you know, kind of in my office, I really think like the people are are good at talking to other people, kind of figuring out, having like a calming influence, mm -hmm. and are also really good problem solvers. And they're not afraid to try and solve a problem or think outside the box a little bit. Um, and I think that that's been really huge too. And I didn't realize how much of that you people needed. I needed. Mm. I needed people to be really be able to do is kind of take the reins on the problems. Because for a while I had a bunch of people that are very nice and on paper, everything was okay. But literally if they hit any impasse, it would just stop. Everything stopped. Mm -hmm. And 
then, but you know, and I could be in the OR or whatever, I'd come back and there would be all these issues, issues and things where they just couldn't get further. And, you know, having somebody that's like willing to be like, oh, you know what, I'm going to call here or I'm going to try and figure out this or I'm going to, the insurance company didn't do this, but maybe I can, you know, get through with this way. Anyway, it's really made, that's made a huge difference. And also at one point who, um, (laughs) she would say things. And I could hear it. Sometimes I could hear her into the conversation and I'd be like, because oh, the, way, the, the way things were being said, you could he- hear, just sense the tension and the buildup of anger. And she would just make the patients like apoplectic. And what she said was saying wasn't technically wrong, but it didn't delivery. have the, the delivery was like all off. And instead of being like, oh, I'll take care of that, it would be like, I'll see what I can do, which opened the door to the other person thinking, maybe she's not going to be able to fix this. Right. Um, right. You know, and, yeah, you, need, you know, and it was just especially like, in this space, you want to feel like the person is right. Like and, definitive and knows what they're doing, knows what they're doing and is going to take care of it. And I know that's exactly what she meant she was going to do. Like, I knew she was planning to take care of it and that she would get it taken care of. But the way it was communicated was just enough to make people crazy and then they would like you know and so I we were always running damage control and it's like you never you know it's the same thing with surgical complications like or or anything else or even post-surgery not even complications but like you'll have this afterwards and you'll feel this way and this the more things you tell people it's like oh yeah they tell me what you expect right if you don't tell them it's like you're covering up and oh was this really supposed to happen because they didn't tell me about this before and now oh yeah they're saying that's normal you you have to get it all out there yeah you know ahead of time and you know and then everybody will be like okay this is how this is supposed to go and it's all really going well whereas you know do you employ so obviously mm-hmm. you know you have your like like reception staff, but then do you employ other doctors? Like, do you have, you yeah, know, so it's just, you're me. the only, mm-hmm. like, so do you have an, like a medical assistant? Or? I have a medical assistant. And then I have my current office manager is actually, um, is a surgical tech from the OR. And oh, so she can help cool. me with a little bit of stuff there too, but she had done some HR stuff before and she's nice. fabulous. Like she can do all of, Combo. all of it. Like, and, and understand it too. And she great. understands it. And she also has a very pleasant personality too. So it's just like, She's easy to be around for us. She's good with the patients yeah. and she's good at also, I am not a good manager mm. at all. And I know this about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like, I don't, I just, she kind of handles She that. can handle that for yeah. me. Like, cause I was like, I, you know, what is it about it? That's hard. Do you think for you? I just do not have the patience. I don't have the patience mm-hmm. for it, you know? Yeah. And I sometimes also can't figure out like, you know, again, when this woman was saying all these things, I'm like, why would you say that? Like, whereas the other person probably could come in and much more nicely. Like evaluate. I'd be like, then... what the hell were you thinking? Where she'd be like, oh, perhaps we should say it this way. Right. And I just, in the moment, I'm not always there. I can do it in the OR and I can do it when I'm dealing with patients, but I think that's my limit. I can do it in two places. Mm. I try to do it at home, but that doesn't always go well either. <laughs> but like, I can't do it yeah. everywhere. So I just feel like, yeah, yeah. I, if I have somebody else dealing with one of the things we didn't really cover, but maybe we can kind of get to it here, sort of backdoor, but I do like to hear about either a specific time or maybe there's a mentor or a challenge, right, that you kind of had to maneuver through. And I'll tie it to this question, which is really like when you think about your journey to this point and you think about, you know, young Wendy that's like mm-hmm. just leaving school or maybe somewhere in med school, like, mm-hmm. you know, what have you learned along the way that that you would tell her to either you know, make the path a little easier or, you know, some aha moments that for you 
from a developmental standpoint you feel like are serving you now? Um, I think a couple things. I think one of them is, you know, is just to get rid of the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, and even now, I mean, sometimes I'm like with other people, you know, or other even surgeons in the area or something. I'm like, oh my God, they should, they do this and that and everything's so great. And all of a sudden I started realizing I'm seeing a lot of consults from their patients that have had surgery before. And I'm starting to realize, I was like, oh, maybe I'm pretty good. Like, I'm okay at this. Yeah. Like, you know, and again, not that everybody has like some of these issues and it's, and it's okay, but I was like, oh, like you just have this realization and to get more of that confidence sort of early on, I think I would have been more confident in building my practice, making some changes sooner, or doing some other things. But I always felt like I was like, oh, well, these people are all like up here, like functioning They know something here. you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And really, no, like that's, and I think it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And some people don't have, I mean, I think there's the other extreme where people are like overinflated overinflated and are like oh I can do everything and kind of get into some stuff that maybe they shouldn't but yeah no I think you have to like really you know yeah. believe that like you know what you're doing is sound and solid and yeah you know um, that confidence and get that confidence and and then I had I did have an incident actually when I was doing my general surgery training where they had this I, I and I don't think they have things like this anymore but they had this like spy committee where they would have some of the senior residents come in and talk to the chairman. And it was just a thing. I mean, the program was not, yeah, it you had would, issues. Yeah. And they would put type stuff up and keep a file on you. And I think it was the idea if they ever wanted to fire you, they'd have all these like random like kind of things. Anyway, but I went into the office at some point because I was getting a discount on my car insurance if I could prove that I was a resident. So right. they were like, oh, take this file. And go over there and you can Xerox what you need out of it. So I took it and I opened it up. And there was this lengthy thing of totally, and it was also hearsay because it was senior residents talking about different stuff. And it was, I mean, I was not engaged. It was talking about some engagement and some, like all kinds of, I mean, random, totally inappropriate things to have in this kind of file. And I like, and I didn't at the time was pretty quiet in those kind of settings. And I just like marched in <laughs> to the chairman's office but behind like three rows of secretaries they're like you can't go in there I was like oh but I can and like what is the meaning of this mm-hmm. and they were like oh and they kind of stopped messing. Wow. yeah it was but it was really it was sort of this interesting thing and did you even know you had that in you to be no, able because like, no. I think a it was lot just, of people would see that and start to like get think nervous those things were true and well and also and be nervous that they're like are they trying to fire me what's going on with right this? i was like this is absolutely unacceptable yeah it was um i i i, I cannot believe it. i was like mad yeah i yeah. was like Good i am you. just walking in and so it, it actually and it ended up being fine and it was funny and i was still really mad and i was working on another service when i got up and i saw one of the and it was a different um surgical service that was a high-powered surgical service that was not under the purview of the general surgery thing. And I kind of told them what was going on and they were like, Oh hell no. And they, at least two of the attendings on that service, because that guy grabbed somebody else wrote letters and sent them to the chairman to be put in that same folder. Oh, good. And it was kind of funny because he, he kind of like, he was like, yeah, he was like, okay, I see you've got the game on. (laughs) Like you're like, you know, but um, it was, it was sort of an interesting experience because I'd never had anything like that happen. Like somewhere that outwardly duplicitous, right? Where it's just like it was really kind of, creepy, and I yeah. didn't realize that the program apparently had a reputation for doing that, and they would just fire people throughout the course of the residency. And I'm not sure that they were planning on doing anything yeah. to me particularly, but I think they like to just—I ha- mean, I think they had that on every single person mm, in, yeah. the, in the program. 
just if they ever needed that. And I was like, okay. And, it, and that was also a, a little instrumental probably in getting me to do plastics because I was like, I'm not really enjoying these people. And that was like right within I started, you know, doing the plastics, which was, again, another field that was a part of yeah. general surgery. And they were not like that. So definitely the kind of standing up for yourself mm -hmm. when you feel like you should and you know there's something, you know. When there's something wrong, yeah. there's something wrong. Like, right. And, and then also just, you know, believing that, like, yeah. you know. Having the confidence. Like, I, I agree. I think a lot of people I've interviewed, I hate to stereotype, but a lot of women mm -hmm. talk about that idea of, like, I think the idea of having confidence and also, like, quieting the noise. Like, there's something about, like, the – um like you said, you'd see other surgeons and think, oh, they're so good. And it's like, why does, why can't it be? And I'm good. Yeah. Versus like, oh, the, everything is, you know, shades better or, or greater. Yeah. You know, when you talk about the imposter yeah. side. So I like that idea of like, the, the more we can proselytize to other people and maybe some ha men have it too, but just like own, you know, if you've done the work and you put in the time and you right. know you're a capable person and there's enough data around you to like, to support that, then it's probably true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, well, this was you. amazing. It was fun to talk it, to you. It was great, great to, to talk great to, to see you, you again. Uh, I'll maybe make an appointment. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. And um, we'll definitely make sure we get your info out there so if people okay. want to come and see you um, for, you know, yeah. appointments or oh, great. consultations. <laughs> that would be great. But um, it's so great to reconnect. So yeah. thanks for being on. Oh, well, thanks Maybe. for having me. Yeah, great. for sure. It's fun. Thank you so much, Dr. Wendy. <laughs> really appreciated having you on the show. A few things that I found really interesting. How, one, not to allow imposter syndrome to hold you back. Two, our interesting dialogue around Eastern and Western medicine. How being open to a different path than what you expected is important and critical as you move through your journey. The importance of having great staff and the pitfalls of insurance companies. <laughs> thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for her support. A big thank you to our relatable community. We continue to grow our audience and so appreciate all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.